who was before of old ordained to this condemnation. You believe it? That's what he said. Ungodly man, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord after saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate, but were left in their habitations, reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around about them in like manner give themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, are set forth for examples of suffering and vintages of eternal fire. Now, if I call it a text, it would be this, found in the third verse in the last phrase, earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, I want you to notice in Jude's address to this letter who he's addressing. He's addressing Christians. He's not speaking now to, to unbelievers. He's talking directly to Christians. Now, notice Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified, not to the world, to them that are sanctified in God the Father, preserved in Jesus Christ, and called. Now he's, he's addressing to the church, telling them just to those that are sanctified in God, preserved in Christ, and called. Now he said, now you're the people that I'm talking to that you will earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, not, the, not a faith that was delivered, but the faith that was delivered. Did you notice there? The, the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Not just a faith. Some people say, well, that's against my faith. I don't, there's only one faith. One faith. One Lord, one God, one baptism, one faith, one doctrine. And now people say, well, I have a faith, and I go to my own church. Well, that's not what Jude's speaking to here. He's talking to the people that's to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, the only way that we're going to ever know what, if we can only find out what the faith is, then we can earnestly contend for that faith. Is that right? What the faith. Now that the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now, if we'll go back to where they were first called saints and find out what kind of a faith they had, then we'll know uh, more or less uh, what they contend, what to contend for. Now, when the church because it was called saints was after they were sanctified. The word sanctify or saint come sanctify, meaning clean, pure, holy, unadulterated, and so forth. Now, if that was the beginning of the church when it was inaugurated at the day of Pentecost. Now, let's look what they had back there, what that church contended for, what they had lost. Now, just 33 years 
after the beginning of the church, now you know Jude wouldn't be talking about back in the Old Testament under the Levitical laws, see, because uh, he's a Christian. He was talking about when the first church was set in order, was inaugurated on the day of Pentecost. And now we'll notice what kind of faith that they had. They had a faith in a resurrected, living Christ. Someone who had rose from the dead and was living among them just the same as he was before he ever died. Now that, see, they wasn't contending for some historical affair, but they were contending for uh, a living Christ, a resurrected one, who was in their midst. Now, when he rose from the dead, he'd done the same things after he rose from the dead through the apostles that he did before he died, even greater and more of it. Now, yet a little while he said, And the world seeth me no more, yet ye shall see me, the church, the believer, for I'll be with you, even in you, to the end of the world. Now, that was what the apostles believed. And they believed that what he was in the flesh, he was also and more in the spirit. And that's what they taught, that's what they believed, and that's what they practiced, and that's what God confirmed. But during this time, this 33 years of lapse, there had become many false brethren who had raised up and had brought in heresies and brought people off to theology and and different things like that. And as Paul, I think of him laying there when they come and told him, this little Jew with his little hook nose laying down there and prison, the chains around him and around his ankles and so forth, and said, well, some's preaching Christ for gain and some turning others' disciples aside. They begin to organize and got great organizations and so forth. He said, here was his credentials. How said I have so many marks on my body that was put there? I've been in perils upon the sea. I've been in perils among false brethren. All these different things he showed as marks. His credentials before God that he had suffered for the cause that Christ died for. God help us to have that type of a credential today. And let's contend for the faith, the true faith that was once delivered to the saints. The saints believed in the death, burial, resurrection. They believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The early church believed it. You believe it? Then let's contend for it. <laughs> now, they believed in signs and wonders following the believer. Now they begin to fall away. The, now, Jude says that man of old was foreordained to do this. Now, God's sovereign. Of course, he, he knows he is not willing that any should perish, but all might come to repentance. But in order to be God, he has to know, and he does know before the thing ever come to pass, who would be saved and who would not be saved. That's right. So there is some people that will not, and God knew it in the beginning they would not. And he even raised up Pharaoh and hardened his heart for that very cause, that he might show his power. And he saw in Jacob to show the election of God might stand sure before either child, when they were born, before they were born. God said, I love Jacob and hate Esau. That's right. Before, 
see you're a Christian because God has ordained that you must be a Christian. Now, you can turn it aside. Some, God will set somebody in your place. But your place is sitting there. If God calls you, go take it and stay with it. Now, how marvelous, earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints all back in the age. Now, the very faith that they had at the beginning is supposed to be today yet. A very fine scholar I was having dinner with here some time ago, East Stanley Jones, said, Brother Ram, said, I see most of your meeting is made up of Pentecostal people. I said, yes, sir. He said, uh, why so? I said, they're the ones that believe. And he said, uh, well, he said, Brother Graham, I think that Pentecost was a scaffold. So that God was going to put up a building and he put, made Pentecost a scaffold. Well, I said, that's right, I'll agree with you. And he said, well, see, after the scaffold work's done, we don't need the scaffold anymore. I said, but the scaffold work isn't done. When the building's completed, God will take it up. So we're still working on the building. <laughs> Amen. Yes, sir, we still need every stepladder, every stepping stone. We need everything. Just exactly the building still in make it. And when it's completed, this gospel is preached to every kindred tongue and nation, then Jesus will return. That's right. Now, we've had plenty of passing out tracts and theology around the world. But the gospel is not the Bible altogether. The, the Bible, Paul said, the gospel came to us, not in word only, but through power and demonstrations of the Holy Ghost. Then when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, then he meant go into all the world and demonstrate the power of God to every creature. And in order to preach the gospel, before you can make it a gospel preach, then you've got to have the power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit to prove the gospel. The letter killeth, the word, the letter killeth, the spirit maketh a lie. So it's not just a ritualistic affair. But it's absolutely a real living reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ living among men. And that's the faith that I'm trying my best to contend for today. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And His power is unlimited. If you can limit God, you can limit Christ. And if you limit the church today and its possibilities, you're limiting God. But all things whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it, and you shall have it. He said that, I believe it, and I know it's the truth. Now, we think of how marvelous, how God has did these things for us, and to see in this day has been predicted by the prophets through the scriptures. And someone asked me, as the same man, why did I associate myself? with Pentecostal people. Now, here's the reason. Now, I know there's many things that I think they ought to be straightened out on in some doctrine. That's my own opinion. They might think I ought to be too. See? Now, but here's one thing. That I found the people with the living faith, where they have absolutely caught a hold of something, God out there that gives them a new birth, that puts God into the person, that makes him believe in the supernatural. Now, if you're not born again, you do not believe in the supernatural, and if you do not believe in the supernatural, you haven't been born again. 
Because when you're born again, you become a son of God. And uh, uh, being a son of God, you're a nature of God. And then you take on the things and you want to see the moving of God. And see God move because you're his son and you're made in his image. And you're born of his spirit. You're a part of him. And then you've got faith for anything. Amen. Notice how from the beginning Satan has been so close. Now, a lot of people say they owe Brother Branham. Don't you think that communism is awful? Yes, it's awful. But that's not the Antichrist. No, sir. Jesus said the Antichrist would be so close like the real, it would deceive the very elect if possible. It's religious people. That's where it comes in. Now, I want, let's go back to the beginning, way back. Go back in the Garden of Eden. Even we could go before that. But let's take the first two boys that was born on this earth. Cain first. Really supposed to have the birthright, but lost it. Just as Esau was. Just as the first church of the mother church, as you want to call it. All the way through. Lost the birthright. Now, Cain and Abel, when they were put out of the Garden of Eden because that death had come to their, their parents and them, both of these boys were very religious boys. Now, if you want to find out what day we're living in, if you want to find out what kind of a crop's going to come up out here, go back and find out what kind of seeds you got planted. And now Genesis is the seed or the beginning. And how that back there in the beginning we see the spirits move up brings us all down to the scripture. We think of Babylon. When Babylon first appeared, look at it down through the Bible. Babylon appeared back there. You know, Nimrod built Babylon. First Babylon was called the gates of heaven. Then it was called confusion. And that's where idolatry first started. Nimrod was the son of Ham, which come on back from a son of Cain. Watch them seeds as they come up. Watch what they bear. Watch how actions they take. And now we're plumbing above the skies with it. The, the crop has grown up. Oh, I hope God soaks that way down deep now so we can get a foundation. See something moving up now. Way down here in the seed, watch what it's going to go to up here. Find out where your seed's at. Now, and what it is. Now, Cain and Abel was both very religious men. And one of them was the type of Christ, and the other was the Antichrist. Cain was just as religious as Abel was. Amen. Noticing. Then many times you notice, look here, as Cain killed Abel at the altar, so did Judas kill Jesus at the altar, which Cain and Abel were a type of Judas and Jesus. All down through these, a pro and con. Look in the ark. There was a dove and there was a crow, both of them sitting on the same ark, same roof. And one of them was willing to go out. Both of them could fly. Both of them were foul. And one 
If you'll notice, it was the dice. When they turned the crow loose, he could fly from dead carcass to dead carcass and eat and be satisfied. But the dove could find no rest for the soles of her feet. She, a dove hasn't got any gall, so it couldn't digest us. How beautiful type of the church. A man said, well, I'm a Christian, but I do anything I want to. Brother, it shows something in other. Man is known by his works, your fruits, their record of what you are. And this old crow could go from body to body and eat dead carcass and feel satisfied, but the dove found no rest for the soles of her feet. She returned back home again. And every man that's born of God, you might backslide or fall out, but if you're born of God, you're coming back to the earth. Sure as anything in the world. The church of the living God will have to move to the earth. You haven't got any gold. God just took it all out when he cleansed you up and made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Look at the horses, the green and gray and grizzled. The horses all down through, all down to Jesus and Judas. By the time Jesus come on the scene, Judas come on the scene. And there were brothers in the same church, one the pastor and the other the treasure. And look, some people only see three crosses at Golgotha. There were four. There was a thief on one side, thief on the other side, Jesus in the middle. And cursed is he that hangeth on a tree. Jesus had made a curse for us, hanging on a tree. And Judas hung himself on a sycamore tree. Just as much cross as the rest of them was on. Now here, look. Here was the Son of God. Come down from the ivory palaces of God. Made flesh and dwelt among us. Here's Judas, the son of perdition. Come from hell, returning back to hell. Here's God in flesh, come from heaven, returning back to heaven. There's a thief on one side said, Lord, remember me when you come into the kingdom. The other said, if, that question mark, whether God meant it or not, if thou be the Son of God, save us. There's a gospel preacher preaching across to the unbeliever. Hallelujah. There you are. There was Jesus returning back, taking with him the born-again repentant church and the devil going back, taking that bunch. If you be a divine healer, do this. If you be this. If this be right. If, if, if. Always Satan puts a question mark across the word of God. If thou be. Well, if he's a divine healer, let him heal this one. Let him heal this one. If he be, let him be this. If. It's always. That's the question mark. But... A real true believer believes every word that God said is the truth and takes it to the There you are. Notice. Let's get back to Cain again. Get some of the faith in the beginning. Watch those spirits, how they begin to move. It's the spirit of anything that does the work of it anyhow. The people have to be in this kind of a spirit to bring the latter days. The people's in the spirit of the latter days. The nations are in the spirit of the end time. They've got atomic weapons, hydrogen weapons, all kinds of things because it's the spirit of the day. The people are in the spirit of the end time. The church is moving together out of the power and the impact of the Holy Spirit. And the world's running out there making fun, scoffing, laughing, living like the devil every day. It's in the spirit of the thing. God's getting ready to take his, and the devil's getting ready to take his. 
Hallelujah. There's no if to God's word before the church. They say, it's thus saith the Lord. We believe it. Let the world say what they want to. They always scoff and laugh. They come from back in the beginning. Look how fundamental sometimes we can be without knowing truth. Now, notice back there in the beginning, when Cain and Abel came out of the garden, driven out, because if they were sin, death had separated them from God. And God put a cherubim, angel with a flaming sword, around the tree to protect that tree of life. Now, here's the tree of death. I have my idea what it was. You can have yours. But anyhow, that whenever they've taken this tree, they were going to die. But if they ever taken this tree, they were going to live. So when they've taken the tree of death that separated them from God, and he put an angel around that tree to keep them from taking it because the very time that they taken of that tree, they would live forever, even knowing good from evil. Is that right? All right. Then notice, that tree was a woman. And when they, when Adam partaken of this, it separated him. The woman still brings the, the life in the world that has to die again. But the tree of life that we're sitting in there was Jesus Christ. When he come down there at the Jewish feast that day and they said, our fathers eat man in the wilderness. He said, and they're everyone dead. But I am the bread of life that come from heaven. If a man eats thereof, he shall never die. He was that tree that was in the garden of Eden. And just as sure as we're born of a woman, we're full of sorrow in few days and die. But every man that's born by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has everlasting life and will be raised up again in the last day. But it must have been an impersonation. It must be a genuine, Holy Ghost, regenerated birth that makes a new creature out of him. It can't be just to make believe or some theology. It must absolutely be a supernatural birth. Just as there was pains and groaning in the first birth of natural, there will have to be a tingling in the second. Making a man a new creature in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, don't get excited. I don't have hurt no one yet. Look! But here, when I see Cain, Abel, they wanted to see mortal they were. How mortal? They got to get away. They got to find favor before God. And they go out and get some different ones, get their fruits of the field and so forth. They go and make a sacrifice to find to try to appease the wrath of God. The judgments of God has been passed upon them. Cain called hard, no doubt. Raised a nice crop of fruit. Now watch. Cain was just as religious, just as much of a gentleman, in every respect that Abel was. Now, not by good works we are saved, but by his mercy. Then they both come up to worship before God. I believe it was east of the gate, and I believe they come right up before His presence. There where that flaming sword was running around the east side of the gate like that, guarding the tree of life. Look! Here it is! I hope you get it! 
Just as sure as man is born of a woman, he has to die. It's just that sure if he's born to Christ, he's got to live. He's got to live. He can't help it. He's got eternal life. Christ said he had. Now, in that day, God guarded the tree to keep him from getting it. And now that sword turned right back the other way now, running him right into the tree so as they will receive the life. Driving people, herding them up to the tree of life. How marvelous. Then I notice. Look at this. Then when Cain come up and he built an altar unto the Lord, both of them did. Now, if an altar is all that God requires, or a church membership, Cain was just as just as Abel was. Cain built an altar just with as good an attention as what Abel did. Well, you say, Brother Graham, as long as my intentions is good, no, sir, that won't do it. Well, I joined church with all good intentions. That still doesn't do it. Cain did too. And I remember, Cain was an infidel. Cain was a believer. This is going to shake the gizzard out of you. I hope it does. Some of you fundamentalists have put the heart in you. That's right. A heart of belief. Notice, Cain was religious and a believer. He come up and build an altar to the Lord with just as much faith as what Abel did. But there is the way that seemeth right unto a man. Now you understand that a while while I'm a holy lower. Now watch. He came up and built an altar unto the Lord with the sincerity of his heart. And he went out and got the best fruits he had and laid them on the altar. Probably decorated the altar all up with beautiful flowers. I could prove that in a little bit. Wouldn't take me but a minute. But beauty is one of the most deceitful things there is. Satan got the same idea and won the more beautiful kingdom in Michael when he went over to set up his kingdom in the north. That's the nature of him. Here's his own boy down here with his same nature. King. There he was. He goes up there and builds this altar. He goes out and probably gets the great big cow lilies off of that ground that's just recently been cursed, Place them all over the altar, puts them in the mind of a good one of these modern churches today. On Easter, everybody comes to church. They buy the Easter flower and lay them on the altar all along. God don't want the Easter flower on the altar. He wants you on the altar. The altar was made for man, not for flowers. What's the matter today? You took the altar out of the church and put it down the basement, and the only fire you got on the left is in the basement. Hallelujah! What we need to know, upper room experience, where God pours out His Holy Ghost, power and fire, like He did in the beginning. But all we got today is what we got in the furnace. The end. Pentecost is getting as bad. Uh, that's the truth. Now notice. Here's what God did. King comes up, he offers his offering. Now, if God only requires a church membership, King had it. If God requires sincerity, King had it. And then if God requires a sacrifice, King did it. And then after he got his sacrifice, his altar, his church, everything ready, beautiful. 
Probably a lot more beautiful than the Abel's was. But God doesn't dwell in beauty made by hands. The beauty of holiness is where God dwells in with the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. Then notice. Then actually made his altar, made his sacrifice, joined church, the sincerity of his heart. That's a pretty good fellow we call him today. You make a dandy fundamentalist. All right. Here he comes. Then he kneels down. Reason I wrapped that because that's what it was. Notice, and I am yet fundamental, but there's some more goes with it. Like the old colored man eating the watermelon said, that was good, but there's some more of it. <laughs> that's right. Notice, he knelt down and he worshiped God. He had a church, a membership, he had an altar, had a sacrifice, and he worshiped God. If God only requires you to go to church and to be a believer, put your name on the book, pay into the church every year, and worship God, Cain is just as just as Abel was, and God was, was should be condemned for condemning Cain. That's right. But notice, oh, he made things beautiful. He built a great big fine place, I guess, and fixed it all up. Ignorant enough to believe that it was apples that took him out of the Garden of Eden. I said, I say this not for no smutty remarks, but if eating apples caused the women to realize they were naked, it's time to pass the apples again. That's exactly right. Yes, sir. Was the more apples than nothing else? Thus, but here come Abel. Hallelujah. Not working, but by grace, election calling. Here he comes along. With a little lamb he picked up out of the flock. He had a grapevine around his neck. Come dragging it along. You say, did he have, how you know, well, he didn't have any hemp, so I guess it must have been a grapevine. Did they lead him up there? Yes, sir. Because that was a type of Christ, and they led him away to Calvary. There comes Abel, knowing that it wasn't apples or fruit. God didn't dwell in beauty or a sincerity. He dwells in election and calling. So he wraps his spine around the lamb's neck, and here he comes, moving up to the altar. I suppose his altar was a big rock. He takes this little fellow, throws him back on this rock like this, takes a rock, because I guess they didn't have any lances and eyes in them days, pulls his little head back, and there was Cain up there, just a glorifying God, and his beauty, look what I've done, Lord. Look at here, you know my heart, you know I'm sincere. I'm giving you all the praise. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. All what he's doing. And little old Abel took that lamb, threw it back like that, got a rock in his hand, began to chop its little throat. If a man ever heard a lamb die, the bleeding, bleeding. I see Abel's hands become bloody. I see the white wool hanging around that little lamb bloody. God looked down. He said, that's it. You got it. What did it speak of? Of some 1900 years later, the Lamb of God that was praying from the foundation of earth was led with a rope around his neck. Up, God, God was healed on earth. Hallelujah! They laid him down. They beat his body into stripes for the healing. They nailed nails in his hands and he stuck there between the heavens and earth on the rock of ages, crying out with an unknown tongue, speaking, Elijah! Elijah! That lamb was speaking in an unknown tongue to 
who to the sacrificer. It was saying there before Abel. And Abel didn't know what that lamb was doing. He was blading out, blading out. And the people that was killing this lamb, the Jews that hung him to the cross, and the unbelievers didn't know what he was saying. He was speaking out to the pilot, Eliah, Eliah. That was Abel's lamb slaying from the foundation of the world. His bloody locks hanging around him. Billy Sunday said, Ever three had an angel sitting there. Then pull your hand loose. Point your finger. We'll change the scene. The Jews said he saved others, he can't save himself. If he's that great Savior, let him save himself. Then we believe him. What was the greatest compliment he ever paid him? Why he couldn't save others and save himself, so he gave himself to save others. Hallelujah. There's God's provided sacrifice. There's the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Hanging, bleeding, bleeding, dying like Abel's lamb. Well, there was pain just as sincere, just as religious as he was, just as much order as he had. Look at that old spirit come out on down through the age. Look at it come down to the children of Israel. If you'll notice for a few moments. Look at Israel when he come out of the wilderness, into the wilderness trouble, and was getting ready to cross. Moab wouldn't let him cross the country. Now, Moab was believers of overnight. You know who it was? That generation come from Lot's daughter's child. Where they lived with their father. And one of the oldest one went over and the land of Moab come from him. Now, here come Israel up. Talk about bad things. Look what Israel had. Every ungodly thing to be thought of was right among them. Here they come journey. Now here come the prophet Balaam coming down to curse Israel for Balaam. What a type of the day. The harlot prophet trying to curse what God's blessed. You couldn't do it if you had to. Here he comes. And why he was, why he was so bloody crazy till he couldn't see the Holy Spirit standing in the room with his Lord's sword. Then you know more about it than he did. That's right. If people just have some good news sense today, I believe they could see it. That's right, here was the mule. Seeing the angel of the Lord is shunned off to one side. He knew he was out of the will of God. Then notice what taking place then. Then he gets down there and he looks out. Now Balaam, or Balak rather, the king of Moab, he was an infidel. He was a believer. Sure he was. And Balaam was an infidel. Balaam the prophet, he was a believer. But a two years, two sets of believers, them same spirit, like Cain and Abel, they come right down again. Now notice, here was the man, the king of Moab, said, come down and curse this people. Believers cursing the believers. Now, they come down, got up on the hill, and Balaam showed him the most uttermost parts. That's the way the devil does. He wants to show the very worst side of it. Somebody who failed. They say, look at this one here. He went to a religious fanatic because he went too far. You don't push your thing them tens of thousands the same time didn't go far enough. That's right. That's right. If I could go out here and ask the graveyard, say, I know some woman here not long ago, a Christian science woman, let her baby die because she wouldn't have a doctor. I'd differ with her on that, but anyhow, that's her faith. And if she, or what she believes about it. 
Now, if I should go to the graveyard down here and say, every person that died trusting God for your healing, stand up. Then every one of you died under medical science, stand up. Which side would be the most? So sauce for the goose and sauce for the gander, see? The same time that went across the country, telling everybody that divine healing was a fanaticism, not to pay any attention to it and so forth like that, it was nothing but, it wasn't worthy. The same time, tens of thousands of people died under medical treatment. Now, if we lost one by divine healing because of unbelief, and then divine healing shouldn't be looked upon, then they should look upon medical science, hospitals, or anything else. Or six to one and a half of the other. If one failed, then that, if that's kind of all wrong? No, sir. I'd say they're both wants to be together working for the glory of God in the coming of the Lord Right. Now we notice this then. How beautiful. Then Moab come down. And he said, now go out there, Balak. Balaam, I want you to curse that people. See the back part of Moab hill there? Yes, he's seen it. Now watch. Balaam built seven altars. Now he was a communist. He was a believer. Now he's up here on the hill. Here's Israel down in the valley. And he built seven altars. And on each altar he offered a bullock, clean sacrifice, one required by God. And on each altar he offered a ram, male sheep, which spoke of the coming of Jesus. Fundamental, just as fundamental as it could be. The same, look, seven, God's perfective number, number of worship. Six days shallow labor, seven days, all down through the age of seven, church age, and so forth. Seven is God's worship in number. And here this prophet, under inspiration, comes down and builds seven altars, offered the forthcoming, proving that they believed in the, the first coming of Christ, offered the bullocks, just as fundamental as it was down there in the camp, in Israel. You get? Here's Israel offering the same offerings that... They look to offer up here on the hill. One to offer the ram, saying we believe that God will send His Son someday in the world. They're up here on the hill just as fundamental as they were. We are offering the ram, believing God will send His Son. Notice, then all the princes of Moab stood around the smoldering sacrifices, worshiping God. Just as fundamental as it could be, scripturally just as good as the other group had, and there's where it is today, friends. People can be just as fundamental in your doctrine. I know men that would spend thousands of them probably as many of them listen at me right here today, and I hope this cuts you to you can't stand it. Look, you can be just as fundamental. I wouldn't. People preach the virgin birth, the death, burial, resurrection, second coming. That's true. I couldn't fuss with you about that. You believe it, and it's the truth, and I do too. So did Balaam. So did Israel. But what they revealed to see there, down here in this camp, they had signs and wonders upon them. That's what they failed to say to their age. They're just as fundamental as we are. They believe it just the same way we do. But they deny that there is a resurrection power working among the people. Well, did the Holy Ghost speak it would be that way? Paul said in the last things to me, Eddie, I'm not in lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but would deny the power of Hallelujah! There it is back in the beginning. There was the Middle Age. 
that same group of fundamental believers that put Jesus Christ on the cross and killed him because he had signs and wonders and they didn't believe it. That same spirit lives among the churches today. A religious people, not a bunch of infidels, fundamental, place it right out there and they're exactly right. But they have the form, form of godliness, fundamentally right, but denying the power thereof. The power of what? The power of healing. The power of shouting. The power of speaking in tongues. The power of interpreting. The power of the church moving just like it did in the beginning. And brothers, sisters, we are contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Hallelujah. You believe it? Contending for the saints. Sure, I'm a fundamentalist. I believe what the Bible said. Like the Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian Church of Christ and all them believes. But brother, you're leaving out the real thing. You got the thing laid out there in the letter, that's right, but you haven't got the spirit with it to quicken the letter. That's right. That's right. That's that. So church, that's why I'm take my stand today with the Holy Lord. Because it's the truth. Look at that! Why Bailiff said, well, they're not even organized. Organized. That's what the people say today. Well, I belong to the Methodists. I belong to Baptists. And the Pentecost just as bad. Same thing. I belong to the organization. Let me tell you something right now. God never did fool with an organization. He never did and never will. No, sir. Every, I'll call any historian's attention right now. There never has been a church in all the ages that every failed, when they failed to see the power of God and get the miracles and things out of the church, God lays her on the shelf and she never does revive again. He laid Luther there, Methodist there, Baptist there, Presbyterian there, and a Pentecost is on its own there right now. I know you think we're awful noisy bunch. Although I can prove to you that ain't noisy, ain't no God there. Listen, in the Old Testament, when Arian anointed with the rose of Sharon, and when he had the anointing oil to run down his beard to the hems of his skirt, he taken a sacrifice and he went into the holiest of holies. And when he went behind that curtain, Across his garment, he had a pomegranate and a bell. A pomegranate and a bell. So it said hit together. And when he walked, it prayed, Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. That's the anointed church of God. Moving into the holiest of holies. And look here, brothers. The reason they did that, that was the only way they could tell that he was alive. They listened to hear if there's any noise. If there was no noise, he was dead. And that's what today the church is born again, going into the holies of holies, anointed with God's pomegranate bell. Hallelujah. Yes, You know they're alive. A bell ringing, holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. The outside says, finds their scoffers. They look at them. That's all right. Look at them, man. Hallelujah. How wonderful. 
Holy, holy, holy unto the Lord. Play the bell against the pomegranate. Notice that Balaam back there can't leave that guy yet. Look at him standing there. He's just as fundamental in his doctrine as they was down there. The same doctrine. But they did not have the signs and wonders. And this group had the signs and wonders. They already had, they had a, a divine healing program on. These guys didn't know nothing about it. If that ain't typical today, I don't know it. They had a split rock. When they wanted water, they just went drink. That's the way the church today. When you get all kinds of down in the spirit, you go to a good old-fashioned Holy Ghost meeting, and the rock struck, and away goes the water. Everybody begins to bump up and down, jump up and down, and bubble over. Sure. The not got amongst the people. That's right. The bright serpent got amongst the people, yes. Truly. God's requirement for divine judgment. The divine judgment of God was upon Christ. That rod that Moses had in his hand, that wasn't Moses' rod. That was God's judgment rod. And the rod hit the rock, and there was a cleft in the rock. And when Israel wanted something, one day they went by and found honey in the rock. <laughs> I found that too, haven't you? When they got thirsty, they found water in the rock. Amen. He supplied everything they had need of, and he does yesterday. There stood the fundamental group making fun of them. God spoke to him down there, and it's surely how today that like the Highland prophet of the day. They say, surely that bunch of people, a bunch of religious quacks, screaming and hollering, carrying on, well, surely a holy war of God would curse such a people. That's what Balaam's are. So he goes down there to put a curse on the people. And he said, how can I curse what God's blessed? When he sold out his curse, he found out there was a brass serpent there and a smitten rock to meet it. He failed to see that atonement going before the church. And you say, well, now, brother, we believe in the atonement, too. Well, that's, uh, we believe. Sure, I know you believe. Cain believes, too. But God confirmed Abel's belief when he accepted his sacrifice. And when you believe, that's fair enough. But if you believe, and a true believer, God will give you the baptism of the Holy Ghost right then when you believe. Hallelujah. I feel religious right now. Notice how glorious. Then I noticed then, when he got down there, he said, Now you go back. But you do, but you say just exactly what I say, God told Balaam. Here went the prophet back, go, to, go back. When he went down there, instead of blessing Israel, or, or cursing Israel, he blessed Israel. He turned around and blessed them. Well, he said he couldn't understand that, I guess. But notice, he blessed them because God had blessed them. And look what he said, I have not beheld iniquity in Jacob. And he was looking from the side of the rock. God said, I've seen him from the hilltop. Hallelujah. His church, his group, why they wasn't a nation, they wasn't organized like the rest of the people. They had organism, but no, no nation. He said the people would dwell among themselves. There will not be a nation. And that's the way the church of God today. The called out group of people, it doesn't mean because you're Methodist, you are. It doesn't mean because you're Pentecost. It means out of every group, God's calling people, giving them the Holy Ghost, and that's the church. They're called out. Certainly he is. He calls them out. They're not an organization. They're organisms. 
Their hearts are beating together. They're one in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, he said, said, well, look at them. They're not even a nation. They're little old mission drivers. Just a typical bunch of holy rollers. That's right. Well, look at them. Well, you see the princes, the bishops, the archbishops, all the great elders. How in the world God can move with his church today, I can't tell you. Look, the highest order in the Bible for the church, the local church, is the elders. And the elders can't move until the bishop says. Has God has to come to the bishop? Down to the, all, about 15 different men before he can get to the elders. But let me tell you, the church of God's led by the Spirit of God. They move as the Spirit moves them. God didn't promise us to move as bishops. Elders is what's the head of the church. Every church. Now, God sends a message, he sent it to his elders. But if he has to go out and see what the bishop says and what the district presbyter says, and everybody in the church is a pulling to get a feather in your hat. Maybe I can be the district man this year. If I pull a few tricks here and do that, brother, I don't care about the district man. I want to be a Christian next year. Hallelujah. Contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Look for that spirit come on down. It come into the days of Jesus. Here was Jesus. He was fundamental as they were. And they were as fundamental as he was. But he had signs and wonders, believers, following him. And they refused him and rejected him. That same old spirit of kings moving right down through religious. And now notice, the Holy Spirit spoke that in the last days, perilous times would come. Men would be lovers of their own selves. I'm Dr. So-and-so. Lovers of the proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient, petty, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, truth-breakers, incontinent, and despisers of those that are good, having a form of godliness fundamentally, but would deny the power thereof from such turn away. Well, this is a sort that go from house to house and lead silly women. Well, we have a stitch and sew party. <laughs> stitch and sew, yeah, you stitch and sew and sew and stitch and stitch and sew and talk about this sew and sew and everything else. What's the shame? What's the use of old fashion? What's the room of the prayer meeting where you pray down the power of God and the Holy Ghost begins to move? That's what you need. Earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. What they did back there, they didn't have all these different things and all this their societies and this societies and that organization and this organization. They were wanting Christ Jesus and the Holy Ghost poured out his power upon them and they went forth doing miracles and signs. Jesus, the last words he said when he left the earth, these signs shall follow them and believe. That's right. His first commission to his church, what was it? Matthew 10. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, freely you receive, freely give. Or as God shows you, do what he said, do. The last commission to the church was the same thing. The last words that fell from his sacred lips as he is going out, going all over and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved, he that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow and agree. In my name they shall cast out devils. We say, oh, here's the sign of the believer. He goes to church. He's a good man. He pays his debt. That's fine. I have nothing to say about that. He educates his children. That's damning. I have nothing to say about that. But that's not the sign of a believer. Even to preach the gospel is not the sign of a believer. 
Jesus said, These signs follow believers. In my name they cast out devils, they speak with new tongues, they take up serpents, and they take deadly things without harm them. If they lay their heads on, hands on the sick, they shall recover. And today you do it to laugh at that. They got a form of godliness, but denying the power of Brother, I don't want to be Balaam, but I stay like Balaam. When he come back and he seen what God had done to that bunch of holy lords, he said, let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. Amen. I say the same thing. Call me holy lord if you want to, but let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be as God's blessings and your best judgment. Hallelujah. I know you think I'm excited. Maybe I am. But I'm having an awful good time. You ought to get excited too. Amen. Little old woman down in New Orleans, been crippled for 17 years, got up. I never go in my life. The Holy Spirit told me where she's at. She's an Armenian. Her name is Mrs. Ohanian. Mrs. Jerry Ohanian. She's crippled up. And I walked in there. I seen her. She looked like a spider. Got up to bed. Her young daughter, 17 years old, Dorothy. They live up there at 1900 Oak Street in New Albany. This had been years ago. And there I went by. I said, now that's the house he showed me. I went out of the house, a girl comes to the door. I said, how do you do? And she said, how do you do? And I said, uh, she looked at me real funny. Mr. Murrow, you read my book. And then he healed up at the St. Edward's Hospital. And it came out in the paper. I said, are you that man that went out and healed that man? I said, no, ma'am. I said, is there a lady here that's crippled up to my mother? I said, step in. She kind of was kind of backwards. She's a young lady, about 17, I guess. She had on her brother's shoes. She kind of stepped back to one side. Now hit this old woman. I said, that's her. That's the one. I said, Sister, what's that you're reading? She said, It's an Armenian Bible. I said, Do you believe? She said, Ever since I've seen the paper about that man being healed, I said, There's hope for me. I said, God has heard your prayer, and He said that I might pray for you. And the woman jumped out of bed running around over the house. Francis is on the Right here, go see her. Many of the people in the neighborhood heard the scream and they thought it was a funeral service. It was. An old person died and one was born again. All right. When she come out there, they said she's excited. That's all. She just got excited and let the muscles down in her legs. About five years later, I was standing in a butcher shop. I seen her through the glass come in. She walked over to her husband. She touched me on that arm. I act like I didn't see her. I looked over this way. She touched me like I looked this other way. And she said, I fooled you, didn't I? And I said, no. She said, Brother Branham, said, you remember a long time ago when they told me I was excited? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'm still excited because I'm still walking. Amen. <laughs> then you better get excited. Brother, excitement don't heal the sick. The power of God's what heals the sick. Time. It's the evening lights are falling. Remember, it was Isaac that wanted a wife when the father Abraham sent the servant out. A very beautiful type of God the Father sending out for his bride, to get his bride, his servant, the Holy Spirit, Eliezer. And it was in the cool of the evening when the beautiful Rebecca came out to water the camel. You know the story. Yeah. And a beautiful Rebecca come out and he said, I ever who waters this camel? He said, Lord, let that be the one you've chosen. And uh, Rebecca went and watered the camel and gave him a drink and then watered his, the animal. Look, the very animal that she was watering, the animal represents a beast, of course, a beast of burden, which means power in the Bible. And the very animal that she was watering was the very animal that packed her to see her bride. Is that right? And what is water? The very power that we're watering now with praises and thanksgiving and glory and power and might is the very Holy Spirit that will pack us up to see Jesus someday. 
Look, it was in the cool evening when Isaac walked out. Uh, somebody said, what if you see him and he's a real dark Jew? He's just, I don't care what he looks like. He's my Savior. And when the bride sees him, it'll be love at the first sight. When Rebecca seen Isaac, she jumped off the camera and run to me. It was love at the first sight. I tell you, when we see him, it'll be love at the first sight. Off we'll go and away we'll go into his arms. Certainly. How beautiful. The bride, the evening light coming. The faith that was once delivered to the saints, beginning to restore back to the church. The fig tree's putting forth its buds. She began to move out. The evening light. The very same gospel that was preached on the day of Pentecost. The very signs that followed for thirty some odd years as led down the church has returned back to the church again, falling right down to the end. Brother, let me tell you, you can call me Holy Roller if you want to. You can say what you want to, but I see back down in Genesis where that great orthodox spirit started back there, just as religious, just as pious it could be. And I see where that thing in the last days has come down all down through the Bible, where the having a form of God is, but will deny that power thereof. He said, come, cut, turn away, get away from it. I'm glad today. I number myself with the Holy Lord. That's the reason I believe today in the old-fashioned baptizing of the Holy Ghost with powers and signs and wonders. Hallelujah! It's a faith that was once delivered to the saints. Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be as theirs. Look at that little ring of the people down to the age. Look at it winding its way through the pages of the Bible. That little church, always rejected. Look at the other side, so close it would deceive the very elect. Just as fundamentally right, just as perfect, fine churches teach the, the doctrine of the Bible, so-called. They'll, do, they'll go out there and they say, yes, sir, we believe in the birth of Jesus Christ. We believe that he is a virgin-born son of God. We accept him. We have faith in him. That's good. Why, brother, it's by faith you're saved. Is that right? But listen, in accepting of your faith, God confirms your faith by the baptism of the Holy Ghost. If you say you believe and you don't get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, then you do not, your faith isn't accepted in the sight of God. You've got a middle faith instead of a heart faith. Right. When you truly believe God, God's under obligation to pour the Holy Ghost on you. And then if he does pour the Holy Ghost on you, you say, well, I've got the Holy Ghost too. Well, if you do, you're bound to believe in the supernatural signs and wonders because you're added to it. That's the faith. Then you say, oh, no, I don't believe in divine healing. I don't believe in all that racket and tearing. I don't believe all that shouting, praising God and tears are running down your cheeks and things. I don't believe in all that. And no, no, it's think that shows you haven't got it. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. It showed here was this man up here in Balaam was just as fundamental and just as right in his doctrine as Moses was. But Moses had healing and signs and, and a big pillar of fire hanging over him. Hallelujah! I hope you get that. <laughs> All right, a pillar of fire hanging over him. The faith that was once delivered to the saints. See? Now, have you got the message? Do you understand what I mean? That we believe. That's why. And listen, some of you fundamentalists here that don't know nothing about God no more than what you know of the Scripture. If that's the only experience you've got, I hope that you come to Jesus Christ and receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Before it's too late. Someday when we are in another land, you'll watch this little holy roller preacher and you'll find out that I'm right. You'll find out that we're earnestly contending for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Do you believe it? 
Let's bow our heads as we talk to him. Heavenly Father, it's today that we are coming before you in your presence, realizing this, that all powers in the heavens and earth is given into your hands. We know that thou art here, and a reward of those who diligently seek thee. And Lord God, we know that you have said in your scripture, it would be far better that a millstone to be hanged at your neck, and to drown in the depths of the sea, than to offend the anointed of God. And now, Lord, thou knowest all things. And I pray thee, if there be someone here who doesn't know you, in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, may they this very day find that faith that was once delivered to the saints. May they take their way with the Lord's despised few, realizing, as Paul said, pressing on to the high calling which is in Christ. You leave those things behind and press towards the mark of the high calling. Grant today, Lord, that these things will take place for thy glory. Now, Father, I commit this all to you. As you, the greatest thing I've ever known in my life is to commit something to you. Now, I commit it to you, Lord, that you'll bring your people together and will take the enemy from the midst of the people. And may the power of God have the right of way in every heart for our asset in Christ's name. And with your heads bowed, if you will, just a moment. I wondered just now how 